Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 121, The Neutral Zone. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. And we are back. Internet media has gotten too soft. Look what's happened since we've been away. The expansion of shows about people who think they can dance and videos of animals failing at being animals and wearing clothing. Beware, producers of substandard topical discussion programs. We are back. You are kind of scary, man. Dude, you gotta take a hard line. Each week on Mission Log, we take a deep look at every single episode of Star Trek ever from the beginning. And we mine it to its core to find out the morals, meanings, messages, ethics, and philosophies buried within. This week, we're talking about the neutral zone. Ken, it's the final episode of season one of The Next Generation. That is so crazy to me. That is insane. That we'd never get here. I I can't (laughs) believe we're already here. Are you kidding me? It's amazing to me that this seems to have gone much faster than the first uh, season of Star Trek, the original series that we did. Oh really? It did yeah. to me. Yeah, this just yeah. it felt like this just this just like flew by. Mm-hmm. And of course it made um never mind. I was going to make a season 3 of the original series joke, but I think we all know how <laughs> painful that was. There's no need to go back into it. Um so so I I guess my guess would be uh coming to the end of season 1 and this is like a this is like a pretty full episode as far as like randomness is concerned. Mm-hmm. There must be a ton of trivia here. Ken Boy, the, this is a, uh, a tough task this week working on trivia because there's a few things happening here that we have to talk about. Uh, the most important thing is that there is a writer strike in effect uh, right up until and during uh, the period that this episode was produced. So there's actually too much to cover in our little segment that we do for trivia. Um, and I have a ton of notes, but I'm going to try to put the major pieces together here for you so we're all we're all on the same page. Now, there are a lot of people who get credit for uh, what turned into this episode. Mona Clay and Deborah McIntyre, uh, they get a writer's credit uh, primarily for that cryonic storyline. Uh, this was actually a piece of fan fiction. We talked about the whole blind uh, submission process, Star Trek. Uh, so this is a story that got submitted and it was like, well, okay, we've got this. We can work with it. Now, there are, there are people pieces of that i'm sorry let's just stop really quickly right there so because yeah, yeah. you hear that it's like a piece of fan fiction you think wow a piece of fan fiction that rose to the top and it's more like <laughs> right. well we can't talk to anybody who actually writes right so and, and so in, in fairness we, they actually did do some writing and i'm not i'm not bashing fan mm-hmm. fiction i'm just saying it's less a it's less a triumph this is not a david gerald story it's more a hey look what right. i found story Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and and we actually don't have any other writing credits for Mona Clay or Deborah McIntyre. Now, it is interesting that there were many elements that got written and excised and changed over time. Um, there's even a little bit of trivia that I can't corroborate about uh, Harry Mudd having been a character who was frozen and then uh, uh, revived in the 24th century. Um, but I... I, I 
out of all of the documents that I have, and I do have a ton of documents. I'm going to share a little bit of that. I can't corroborate that one piece. So I am going to post some things that I think that our audience will find very interesting. Um, just uh, not not that one little detail that I've been looking for. I got, I got to say, man, in the alternate universe where that is true. Yeah. This is probably an hour and a half long episode about how much I hate the use of hairy mud. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, sadly, uh, Roger Carmel died before this episode was made. So even if he had decided to go that way, uh, sadly, we lost him and his talent uh, before this was made. Mm. So now who else do we owe the episode to? Well, Greg Strangis wrote the original story draft and it was absolutely nothing like what we have here. So I do have a ton of memos uh, in and among the production staff all complaining separately about the same thing, that the original draft of the episode called The Neutral Zone, written, written by Greg Strangis, is too short a season. Um, you have an old Starfleet admiral in a wheelchair, um, and essentially he's orchestrating this whole thing with the Romulans. And now other big differences, we would have had Wesley in that episode. We would have had Tasha in that episode. Um, and interestingly, there was a bit of backstory about Picard having defeated two Romulan ships years ago. But that was tagged as being a little too warlike. We already know about Picard's history with the Ferengi. Uh, so that little bit was excised as well. Essentially, that original story called the neutral zone. The only thing that exists is that there is a neutral zone. <laughs> so where does that bring us? Well, Maurice Hurley, who we have talked about many times. He was a producer during uh, this time on Next Gen. He really gets most of the credit. For this episode um, with that writer strike on and really no time to develop uh, what would become the script to cap off the first season. Um, there were a few things that went unanswered. This would have originally been a two parter episode, a cliffhanger to close season one and open season two. And I actually am going to address uh, one of those cliffhanger questions when we get into our discussion after the recap. Um, one of the things that I have that is kind of interesting, though, there are some research notes about cryonics, and obviously we will talk about cryonics in today's show. And this ties into something that I think that not a lot of people know about. There was a Gene Roddenberry project uh, that he was trying to get off the ground in the early 80s called Future Works. And this would have been a science fact show kind of along the lines um i don't know if you remember at the time ken a show called that's incredible uh <laughs> early 80s so that was a very kind of sensationalized magazine show this was to take that format but make it a little more real science and part of the you know they have this long list of topics that gene was researching and one of those was cryonics um so we've got some research notes uh, that actually tied back into those research notes. And I'm going to run that because it does help to illuminate uh, what the position of Star Trek would be in the 24th century about cryonics, how we would sort of contextualize this in the, uh, the future story that we're telling here. Um, fewer things to hit before we uh, get into the show. Uh, nice shout out. You know, I'm, I'm very impressed with the shout out for the QE2. And they actually got it right uh, because the QE2 is not retired until, I believe, uh, 2008. So uh, when data says that the QE2 is sailing in the late 20th and early 21st century, he was right. 
and uh, that that could have uh, that could have gone the other direction, and the QE2 could have been retired much earlier than she actually was. So I'm glad to see that she was actually launched in 1967. So uh, did quite a number of trips in those years. And let's talk about the guest stars, Ken. Because yes. we've got a lot here, and uh, and they're kind of awesome. So um, we got to start out with Leon Rippey. Love Leon Rippey. Yeah, he he's just kind of awesome. I love his voice. I love his presence. He did just a ton of TV work. Uh, he's originally from South Carolina. And Ken, I know that you have some some favorites of Leon Rippey that you wanted to hit. Uh, you know, honestly, it, it's kind of goofy. Uh, his his favorite for me is um, is Earl from uh, what was that? What was that show? Saving Grace. Mm. I loved him as Earl in Saving Grace. Mm-hmm. And for people who haven't watched it. I don't guess you need to go back and watch it. I, I, I happened to catch some episodes and he was this angel who was nothing like an angel. And that's like what's really cool about it, I think. It's not, not mm. highway to heaven. It's more like back alley, maybe near heaven, but not so much. Mm. <laughs> so I love All him. Right. I, I love him for that. But then, yeah, he, he was in uh, Deadwood, apparently. I totally forget yeah. him in Deadwood, but I love Deadwood. Anybody who was in Deadwood. Uh, automatically goes to the top of the list as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, he's just one of those guys who's always fun to see. There's something about him that's very, uh, I don't know, there's something about him that's very likable. Midnight in the Garden yeah. of Good and Evil, not so likable in that, but not terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? What else? They're uh, The Patriot. And, you know, oh, okay. how do you okay. feel about the movie The Patriot? Whatever. He's kind of a fun character in it. It's, you know, yeah, I like him a lot. Plus, cool. I, I am a huge fan of LQ Sonny Clemens music. So, I mean, if anybody could really <laughs> bring him to the screen, I would say it would have to be Leon Rippey. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, we also have Gracie Harrison as Claire Raymond. Uh, she's just a handful of uh, mostly TV credits. And then rounding out those three, you have veteran character actor Peter Mark Richmond as Ralph Offenhaus. Um, and the guy has just been in a huge number of projects, over 500 TV credits, including cool stuff like The Twilight Zone and The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and not so cool stuff like Galactica 1980 and uh, even weirder stuff like uh, he played the pharaoh in an episode of Electra Woman and Dinah Girl from the Croft Super Show. Um, he also did a huge amount of voice work in uh, animated shows. So even if you don't know the face, you probably know the voice of Peter Mark Richmond. Hey, and uh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. hang on one second. I'm, I'm going through. Uh, I'm going through IMDb here. Uh, there's actually okay. a little trick here that we can do with Leon Rippey. Yeah. Okay. That you often like to do. Okay. So, so he was in the miniseries the tv miniseries north and south book two featuring of course jonathan uh, frakes jonathan frakes and kirstie alley oh so it's like a big star trek family reunion it's like right? a big star trek love fest now i have not yeah, seen yeah. north and south book two i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that uh, that leon rippey played a southerner uh, that is likely <laughs> that is very likely it does yeah. seem it does seem kind of i sorry to interrupt your your flow there, no no, no. go ahead that, that's fine that's fine i'm going to wrap it up just by pointing out that the romulans here uh, we meet two of them in this episode uh we welcome back mark alimo who we lost last saw in lonely among us and we will definitely see again and uh anthony james who racked up a really impressive number of tv credits before largely quitting in the early 90s 
to become an artist. And uh, his last credit actually is the movie Unforgiven. Um, You recognize him. He has a really distinctive voice and kind of this long, gaunt face. Um, I remember him well from an episode of Buck Rogers, uh, where even behind all the makeup, you just know that it's him. What do a financier, a homemaker, a musician, and a popsicle have in common? Let's find out. Prologue. Captain Picard is away at a very important meeting on Starbase 718. While the Enterprise is just hanging out, waiting for him to return, the crew notice an ancient, derelict spacecraft floating nearby. Hey, want to go check it out? Riker's like, nah, it's old. What do we need with old stuff? Data is kind of thinking that it could at least be interesting since they have time to kill. Riker is still like, oh, come on. History is just about old things that aren't important anymore. So go if you want, I guess. Data and Worf beam over to the craft, which seems to be in all right shape for being hundreds of years old. When the main door is forced open, they find a room containing human-sized capsules of some sort. Inside two of those capsules are human remains, but in three of those capsules, there are actual frozen humans. Act 1. Data has an idea. Frozen people on the derelict spacecraft are in danger since that ship's systems aren't working too well. With permission, Data beams those three along with himself and Worf back to the Enterprise. Want to know who else is coming back to the Enterprise? Captain Picard. And he is in no mood to do anything other than look very serious and give orders. He tells Geordi to lay in a new course and step on it. Looking at the map, Geordi realizes the new coordinates will take them right into the neutral zone. Yep. Picard just came back from a briefing that Federation outposts have been destroyed and the Romulans, who no one has heard from in decades, are most likely responsible. The Enterprise is heading out to investigate, and we may need to be ready for a fight. At least that's what Worf would have us do. Picard has more of a mind to play things cool until he knows for sure what they are up against. Now, to his surprise, Picard finds out that they have guests on board. Dr. Crusher has been successful in thawing out the three people recovered from the derelict craft. One of the three, a woman, regains consciousness only long enough to faint as soon as she sees Worf. Act 2. Time to meet the guests. Claire Raymond, a homemaker, Ralph Offenhouse, a businessman, and L.Q. Sonny Clemens. A mystery. He might have had something to do with music. In any case, they all three died at some point in the past and had their bodies frozen. Now Dr. Crusher has cured whatever killed them and brought them back, safe and sound, on the Enterprise in the 24th century. Picard is intrigued, but he's got more important things to think about like approaching the neutral zone, where he will find out who knows what. Riker, Data, and Dr. Crusher are now in charge of the three guests, and all of this is going to take some explaining. Sometime in the 1990s, these people died. For Claire, it was rather sudden from a pulmonary embolism, and their bodies were frozen to be, hopefully, revived later. A lot has changed. We've got starships as a federation, Data as an android, not a robot, And that guy with the weird head is a Klingon. Enough fun and games. Offenhouse, the businessman who is concerned about business, 
he does business, you see, and he wants to get back on the phone to talk business with other business people. Not going to happen just yet. Meanwhile, Dana is trying to explain the sketchy details of Romulan psychology to Picard. They can be extremely violent, but they will not make the first move. They're waiting for you to strike first. Sonny Clemens is adjusting to the 24th century life. Taking a page out of the Mission Log playbook, first thing he does when introduced to a replicator is order up a martini. Sonny is taking a liking to Data, but Offenhouse is getting restless. He wants to see the captain. Act 3. In his ready room, Picard confers with his staff about the neutral zone. They assume that the nine bases there have all been destroyed by Romulans. Therefore, they assume that the Romulans are at the very least looking for information on how the Federation has advanced in the decades since their last encounter. The command staff agree. They may need to be ready for a fight. As they discuss the matter, Ralph Offenhouse's voice blares over the speaker. He wants to see Picard right now. Before Offenhouse and spit out a few more complaints, Picard comes strolling into the room where the three 20th century guests are hanging out. Offenhouse wants to talk to the law firm that he knew in the 20th century. Picard tries to set him straight, though. The world has changed. There is probably no more law firm, and the 24th century is not obsessed with money and power. Picard is going to help, though. He sends Deanna Troy, who addresses Claire. She's sad because she knows that everyone she loved from the 20th century is gone, especially her two boys. One way Deanna can help is to look up family history for Claire on the ship computer. It works. Ten generations of her family flash by on the screen. Down in sickbay, Sonny is trying to convince Dr. Crusher that he needs some medication to help him through the day. Purely unnecessary, the doctor says. He shuffles off to find Data. All he wants is a chance to socialize, maybe play a guitar. The party will have to wait, though. Picard calls Data as they are approaching the neutral zone. Act 4. Arriving at the neutral zone, there is a whole lot of nothing. As in, the outpost they hope to find is just gone. They have no idea how it could have happened, but it doesn't seem to be from a conventional attack. In their quarters, Offenhouse is getting all worked up again. He tells the others that he's going to find out what's going on, even though Sonny tells him there's nothing he can do about it. He doesn't care. Even with the ship going to yellow alert, Offenhouse makes his way to the bridge just as things are getting tense. In the place where another outpost should be, there is again nothing. Worf and Jordy are both reading disturbances that could be a Romulan ship getting ready to decloak. But Picard does not want to assume an offensive posture. He won't arm torpedoes. He won't charge at the phasers. He knows that if there are Romulans, they will be looking for a sign that the Enterprise is ready to fight. In a moment, the Romulan ship reveals itself, a huge, green, new, and improved warship, and Offenhouse can't contain himself. Act 5. Everyone is trying to take in the moment. No one expected to see the Romulans again. And curiosity is countered with Worf's rather blatant offense. They don't like humans or Klingons, and he is ready to fight them. Picard tells Worf to put a proverbial sock in it. He wants to open hailing frequencies to find out what's going on. On screen with the Romulans now, things get more interesting. The Romulans, too, have lost a handful of outposts. Offenhouse makes an outburst and calls their bluff. They have no idea either who could have cut such a wide path of destruction. But we know now that it wasn't the Federation, 
and it wasn't the Romulans. Picard proposes something a bit unorthodox. Wait for it. Cooperation. Or if you're from the planet Snoo, you may know it as Shirley. The Federation will share any information about this new threat with the Romulans, and the Romulans will do the same. Only they want to leave Picard with some unnecessary verbal intimidation, just to make sure the Federation knows who's boss. We get to breathe a little sigh of relief. Tension is still high, but we avoided any shooting. Deanna is still helping Claire. She's located a distant descendant living near Indianapolis. It's Claire's great-great-great-great-great-grandson, though Claire is amazed to see that he looks so much like her husband. Picard has a plan. They'll rendezvous with the USS Charleston and hand over their visitors from the past. In time, they will be taken back to Earth, where they can carve out new lives. Offenhouse may have the most trouble adapting. He doesn't know what to do in a world where material possession isn't the foremost goal. Picard encourages him to try something new. Self-improvement, self-enrichment. You may like it. With that, the Enterprise heads out into the future. Well, at least a few months into the future as we wait out the hiatus. The end. Well done, sir. Why, thank you. I gotta say, I, I love the fact that life prolongation doesn't almost kill almost everyone in this episode. And let me say, take that, Miri. <laughs> and every other life prolongation episode where everybody almost dies. Yeah, don't mess with Mother Nature. Unless, well, yeah, go yeah. ahead. It yeah. turns out, yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> if you can get past the 23rd century, then mm-hmm. then, then life prolongation should be okay. I will say it is kind of sobering to think that one day uh, there will be no phones, though, and no banks, and no Wall mm. Street Journal. Uh, I am, of course, looking forward to chronicling every minute of it personally over the next 370 years or so from my robot body, along with what I assume will be your great, 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 great grandchild. So you need to get busy and get busy. <laughs> That's too much work, Ken. I got plans, dude. I got plans, <laughs> and I can't have you standing in my way. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, when you get to the future. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, I, I, wait. Hope... I just got there. What do you need? Uh, okay. I, well, if there's a guy named Riker, yeah. uh, tell him that I'm very disappointed with his lack of curiosity about ancient history. What is up with that? So what was the planet that they went to that was like a total myth, like Magrathea, but not, you know, with all the artists oh, and the, yeah, the yeah, guy yeah. who will eventually play Mark Twain? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Altair or the, the, yes. the Altaeans. Yeah, Altair. Yes. So but, Riker is totally into this ancient myth, totally fictitious planet, right? Mm-hmm. But Earth history, nah. No, <laughs> and no. and so so he and Riker, uh, he and Data, excuse me, spend a few minutes with the three people from the 20th century, and then as they're leaving, Riker's like, uh, from what I've seen of our guests, there's not much to redeem them. Makes one wonder how we survived the 20th century. Okay, meow. You've been with them for like three minutes, <laughs> right, like three right. minutes, and you're like, oh, look what I stepped in, my mm-hmm. ancestors. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, in fairness, Picard was kind of the same way. He was like, you know, he, he came on board and he was like, just keep them out of my way. I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to know about it. Just keep them away from me. Yeah, it, it's such a weird reaction. Like, it just is. from the very beginning, that, that there's this really cool, and it's good special effects work. This really cool model, you know, this really cool spacecraft. Yeah. And, and Riker's just like, eh, just let it float on by. And if it gets destroyed, it gets destroyed. <laughs> So what? Yeah, sir. I think it's gonna. It'll end destroyed. And 
Yeah, it's like they're literally doing nothing. They're waiting. <laughs> they're they're at a dead stop, and they're just waiting for Picard to come back. And here's a thing that is totally out of the ordinary mm-hmm. that they could check out. You may learn something. Let's get back to that whole thing about self-improvement and enrichment and education. Whatever. You may learn something, That's Riker. The past. That's the past. They're going to the future. Uh, yeah. 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 And those, who forget, those who forget history are A-OK. <laughs> right, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that makes me sad. Um, but, you know, when they do get there, it's a good thing there are no genetically engineered supermen on board uh, that ancient derelict craft. Um, it's, you know, not surprisingly, there was no mention of that possibility from data <laughs> before they beamed over, or after they beamed over. Um, there are some of the research notes uh, comparing this to space seed saying like, hey, just make sure that we're not doing a space seed thing over again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we don't yeah. want Star Trek to retread that until uh, right. several decades from now. Right. Or right, a couple right. of decades anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, on that ship, uh, Data does say that he's going to download that disk drive, which I thought was pretty good. You know, it's a 20th slash 21st technology being used in the right context. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think about it on the old show when we were looking at episodes of TOS and there would be uh, a mention of the tape or, or whatever. Like, what? This is the 23rd century. You don't have tape. You don't have tape at all, but data finds this technology that would have been a late 20th, early 21st century technology that we know is a disk drive. And what do you do? Well, you try to hook it up to your new computer and download that information, which I imagine doesn't go well. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, actually the surprising part. Yeah. That they had a, you know, 300 year old data converter. Yeah, I'm going to guess it on the Enterprise. It would be uh, you don't have a SCSI port uh, adapter just laying around. Then again, uh, well, then again, though, the computer can make uh, LQ Sonny Clemens a guitar. Mm-hmm. So it ought yeah, to be able to make a disk drive. True. Yeah. Very true. That's interesting, yeah. actually. You you never have, you're never out of a tool. You, you're never going to have a thing like, oh, mm-hmm. well, sorry, we couldn't convert that. Well, of course you could, because the computer could just go ahead and 3D print you one. Or, you know, 3D mm-hmm. replicate you one, whichever. It- yeah, I have a question. So Picard yeah. comes back and he's like, you know, neutral zone business, no time for anything else. How does he seriously end up at sick bay before he finds out that there's somebody else on board? <laughs> I, like, I see what like you mean. I, I kept people. feeling like, the, yeah, I, I kept feeling like there was a missing moment. There. Yeah. Well, there was. But it's, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Thinking, is, is Picard in his head going, wow, how many people did I pass on the way here? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who didn't feel it was important to tell me that there are three um other life forms on my ship now, because mm-hmm. that's kind of a that's kind of a big deal for a starship captain, I would think. It is. It is. Um, an interesting thing here that we finally have a date mentioned in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Data tells these guys that the year is twenty three sixty four, and by, I should by their reckoning. By their reckoning, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, So more than a hundred years since the beginning of Kirk's five-year mission. Um, by the way, uh, four hundred years since the Beatles landed in America. Just so we need to put that uh, into context. Nice. Um, but that's pretty interesting because then, from uh, from a trivia point of view, the rest of Star Trek kind of revolves around that because we didn't have hard dates mentioned in other episodes we had star dates mm-hmm. um, but now everything we know kind of revolves around this so we know when next gen takes place um we did have data mention that he was in the class of 78 
but uh, we might have to chalk that up as being uh, apocrypha or a mistake because class 78 would have been well nearly a hundred years <laughs> before right. he's on the enterprise and we know that he's only been in uh, starfleet for 20 something years like 26 exactly. right so right. What, like he, he graduated but maybe he didn't finish his, finish his dissertation <laughs> yeah he, he took some time off he did some farming <laughs> he had to go find himself um, yeah, he went to europe yeah, he did. There yeah. were, what was left of europe after what right. i assume was a number of wars and paris is still there though so that's because mm-hmm. they'll always have that um I, I will say it, it's 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 disappointing. I know I, I I sound like I have a bit of a crush on LQ Sonny Clemens, and it's mostly <laughs> it, it it really it's mostly because I grew up listening to his albums. I mean, his music will always uh, speak, yeah, speak yeah. to my core. Touches the heart. Yeah, I love the fact that uh, Data knows exactly what to do with this guy. Oh, you nearly destroyed your liver. Uh, here's the keys to the liquor cabinet. I like that. <laughs> I will say though, he did disappoint me as a country and or blues man, and he really was good in both. Um, LQ Con- Sonny Clemens uh, should not be ordering a martini. I know that that speaks to you, but he yeah, is, he is a Southerner steeped in Southern tradition. He should have ordered either a Sazerac Sling or maybe a, a Georgia Mint Julep, maybe. Mm. I'm assuming mm-hmm. you would go for a Georgia Mint Julep because he wants to see how the Braves are doing. Right. Which, you <laughs> right. Know, which puts him in Atlanta, or at least yeah. in, the, uh, in the southeastern portion of the U.S., but not so far south that he would you know care what the... Uh, Tampa Devil Rays is that what they're called? I don't know. Uh, sure. My my knowledge of baseball is actually pretty pretty slim. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we do have to assume that uh, he's drinking something that is not the alcohol that we know, uh, because well, you have synthahol in the future. Yeah, he doesn't know that though. He doesn't know that. That's very true. Um, we don't even yeah. know that yet, actually. We, we don't even know that. It, but like you said, yeah, data basically gives him this tool to say, here you go. Here's how you get unlimited booze. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'm thinking... Which totally you know, works for LQ Sonny Clemens. Yeah, and you know, not even 100 years ago, uh, Kirk was giving Khan uh, something to read. Yeah. He was saying, here, here's the computer. You want to learn about this ship. You want to learn about history. You go right ahead. Knock yourself out. Well, now, remember, though... In um, Heart of Glory, was it Heart of Glory? Is that the one with the Klingons? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Heart of Glory, Worf pulled the total Kirk maneuver of just giving the enemy, right, who he didn't know it was the enemy at the time, but just giving them right. free, free run of the ship. Like, it took them every place they wanted to go, showed them everything they wanted to see. It is possible that the, uh, that the 1701D had like, a, had like an all-staff meeting mm-hmm. about... Basically, not giving anybody new on the ship access to anything, right? Without knowing right. who yeah. they are or what they are, you know. Yeah, yeah. Feed them, give them something to drink. Do not give them text and specs. Do not give them a tour. Do not yeah. give them free reign, which they still get. It's it's so funny the the ideas that that Picard labors under. I mean, they really they really are ripe for the mule in a way. Um, <laughs> he's like, did you give that man permission to call me? <laughs> right. I was like, of course I didn't give him permission. Okay, really? That's 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 what's going to stop him. It, right. it was kind of a kind of an interesting idea to me. Um, yeah. I will also say mm-hmm. uh, that woman. What is her name? Claire. Claire. Yeah. Horrible yeah. person. <laughs> Absolutely horrible person. This she is just terrible. Three hundred seventy years later, and she's all my husband's an idiot. <laughs> but at least he got one thing right. I'm glad he's dead. I mean, she's just like, terrible. She's just a horrible, horrible person. 
I well, it, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. In her defense, to her, it's not There's 370 no years. It, no it's, a, it's maybe days. I mean, literally, she she got ill, still she a, died. That is still a horrible person. I'm sorry. It, it, it's a horrible thing, but we don't know. Maybe they're having some marriage trouble. Maybe maybe <laughs> they're on the rocks That's anyway. Be the first thing you say to everybody. <laughs> it might have been on her mind. Oh, dude, that's. I, Just, I will say she is lucky, though. It's kind of awesome that detailed records of everyone survived um, the eugenics wars, and mm. then you know whatever it was that was going on when Zephram Cochran fired up the warp drive for the first time and made first contact mm. with the uh, with the Vulcans hasn't uh, happened yet. That, what do you mean? <laughs> well, it hasn't happened yet for us. It's happened already for uh, uh, Star Trek chronological history, but say, we, we haven't gotten. We story. met Zephram Cochran in the sixties. We did, but we didn't yeah. know about first contact with the Vulcans. But it's already happened. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> My point is, Earth's yeah. been through just like, you know, crap storm after crap storm. Yeah. And yet detailed records, like down to where this guy lives. Well, so, again, so it, it, it's like we talked about before in the show. It, it, it's Facebook, man. We don't, we, don't have to rely <laughs> on, we don't have to rely on government records uh, surviving for hundreds of years. Yeah. We know that everything that we do, everything we touch, everything that we eat uh-huh. is being stored in multiple copies okay. and networked to everybody else. Okay, so uh, forgive me because I am going to jump the timeline as far as production goes. Are you telling me Alfrey Woodard and, and James Cromwell are stopping to, to tweet and Facebook their locations while they're being destroyed by the Eastern Alliance or whatever that's called, while they're being bombed? Absolutely. OMG, yeah. being bombed by whoever the heck that is. Yeah, FML. <laughs> SMH. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, Ken, a uh, tiny bit more of uh, trivia that I said I wanted to come back to. Yeah. So the question became, who destroyed those bases near the neutral zone? And if Maurice Hurley had been able to write the two-parter that he originally wanted to write, it would have been, I, I don't know, like a, a, a collective, like, like an insect-like, uh, fearsome alien, uh, maybe really? with like a hive mind kind of thing. Hmm. And uh, so but like, there's no more time to develop that enemy. These aren't those zombie ants you were talking about in last week's episode, are they? No, but those things are creepy as hell. No, they are. So, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but, I, but, I would uh, make that my enemy if I were writing a, a sci-fi series today. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that that alien entity that mm-hmm. we didn't get developed for this particular episode, uh, maybe we'll get to see it sometime down the road. It's interesting that you say that because I my money was going to be on the crystalline entity. Mm. It's not mm. dead yet. Mm-hmm. No, right. Yeah, as far as we right. know. I, and I say yet as if it's ever going to be killed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <clears throat> Whoops. So yeah. uh, one thing that I found interesting, actually, because you're talking about enemies that we didn't see, we're kind of giving the Ferengi their walking papers as the bad guys in this episode, aren't we? I mean, they're, yes. st- they're still going to be around, but they're not going to be the big bad that, that they had apparently been planned to be when this first started. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, well, and that is a very specific thing, though, because uh, and I, I go back to the, the research notes on this episode. Um, so here's the thing. I, I felt like the ending with the Romulans was a little hokey, though. We're back, you know, just a little too leading. Well, if you say it but, that way, if you say it that way, it's hokey. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, but, he didn't say we're back. He said. Rah. Yeah, well, still. Uh, but it, here's the interesting thing, though, that, that there is resistance to the idea of this being Romulans because. Gene himself had decreed that there would be no Klingon, no Romulan, no Vulcan stories in this new 
series. Really? So had we introduced the new species, it would have been more about them rather than about actually meeting the Romulans and having an interaction with them. Um, so, yeah, part, part of that then just sort of got the go ahead to say, OK, well, the Ferengi, we're sort of drawing a line now to say that the Ferengi are not necessarily the fearsome uh, primary bad guys that we will face in this series. And we kind of got to loosen up on that restriction a little bit and reintroduce the Romulans. But in a parallel Star Trek universe, that would not have been the case. That's the one with uh, Harcourt Fenton Mud at the center of this episode. <laughs> maybe. I got to say, there's there's one thing that I, I'm kind of disappointed. Um, maybe they actually should invite the Romulans to the party that LQ, Sonny Clemens, and Lieutenant Commander Data are planning. Because they talk about it. Sonny's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why does that not make me feel good? <laughs> and Data's like, I have no idea. He's like, but we're not going to invite these Romulans to the party. And Data's like, yeah, no, that wouldn't be appropriate. Hang on, because I saw Star Trek V, and I assume, mm-hmm. you know, Sonny Clemens didn't die or didn't get frozen until like somewhere around 94, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he would have had time to see Star Trek V as well. Good. And, and so he would know that, you know, they invited the Klingons to, to, to you know, come have drinks on the Enterprise, and everything was awesome. Mm-hmm. Until Star Trek VI. You know, Ooh. what? For Ooh. a little while, it was great. I think yeah. they should have invited the Romulans to the party, and, uh, and maybe we could have headed off years of, uh, years of, of, of war and conflict. This edition of Mission Log is brought to you by the Sonny Clemens Big Note Guitar Songbook. From old classics like, At the Bottom of a Jug, to new favorites like, The Shore Leaf Planet Blues, you'll learn to play them all. Act now. So a lot of people don't remember this, but late in the 24th century after he returned to Earth, um, LQ Sonny Clemens recorded what is quite possibly one of the best comeback albums ever. Too Afraid to Live, Too Scared to Die. <laughs> Which was inspired, of course, by a conversation between uh, Dr. Crusher and uh, and Captain Picard. Um, I will say her assessment of the life of uh, Sonny Clemens is um, a much better anti-drug PSA than the one in Symbiosis. Yes. Except yes. for the part where LQ Sonny Clemens dies with enough money to have himself frozen and shot into space. <laughs> now, now, the wise philosopher Bill Hicks once said, if you hate drugs, if you're an anti-drug person, go home, get all of your records, tapes, and CDs, because he died in the 90s far, far too early for this brilliant comedian. If you hate drugs, go home, get all of your records, tapes, and CDs of all the music that you love, and burn them. <laughs> L.Q. Sonny Clemens kind of had to be... Um, a flawed individual to be the, the great artist that he apparently was. Um, that said, it is still a better head-shaking moral than the after-school special uh, played out by Ensign Crusher and um, uh, that woman. What was her name? Uh, used to stand where oh. Worf stands uh, yeah. on the show uh, for a while. I can't remember. She wasn't yeah. really that well-written anyway, and that was a horribly <laughs> written scene. But um, it, it's it, kind of an interesting. I mean, we do get a a more subtle don't do drugs <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. message here. Although, of course, the second he wakes up, he's like, hey, how do I get liquor? Which, by the way, kids, is a drug. So, yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. 
right? Well, I mean, I, you would hope that maybe uh, if he has that serious an addiction, that in the 21st century he can get some counseling. He, he can maybe uh, control his his uh, constant need for booze and pills. Because yeah. I thought it was more interesting. You know, he goes back to Dr. Crusher to say, hey, look, I, I need something to keep me awake during the day. I need something to knock me out at night. <laughs> Dr. Crusher should have said, like, haven't you ever heard of Elvis? You know, oh, that's, um, that's a good point. Yeah, because Elvis would have been long dead by the time uh, mm-hmm. by the time Sonny got frozen. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, interesting point. That here's the thing, though. There's really nothing mm-hmm. to stop him from just drinking himself silly because he could always just go back to the livernator or whatever that's it was right. that you know Crusher put him through. Yeah, honestly, it opens up a whole new not since Omicron SETI three have we <laughs> been able to think <laughs> about the possibility of drugs really having no effect on someone, despite the fact that you know, there is ostensibly this anti-drug PSA in the middle. Yeah. Um, but anyway, if you haven't heard, uh, if you haven't heard uh, Too Afraid to Live and Too Scared to Die, you really should uh, hop into the future and download it, because it's, yes. it's, it's quite possibly the best album the 24th century put out. Wow. Wow. That's strong words, Ken. Yeah. Um, something that uh, I, I want to mention here is that, uh, okay, we, we go with the premise of these three people, LQ, Claire and Ralph uh, are dead. They, they are most definitely dead yes. by the time you find them. They were dead when they got frozen. Um, one of the memos that I'm going to run in Discover Documents uh, is a, a collection of notes from Bob Justman. And he goes into this very interesting discussion. Uh, it's one of the few times that I feel like the notes in a memo really dovetail with something that we would do on Mission Log really say, okay, let's think about this. What are we actually trying to say here? And what does this mean in the bigger picture? Um, Because he says, uh, this is a very tricky thing since the enterprise staff, uh, the medical staff can't do magic and we're not doing a Frankenstein story here. So he, he proposes and he asks like, is there a way to justify that these people got frozen, but didn't actually die? Um, because death, death is a permanent thing that De- death is death. And if you're dead, you're dead and you don't come back. And we don't want to put Dr. Crusher in the position or anybody from, uh, from this world in the position of just being able to raise the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he kind of struggled with that. I thought it was interesting uh, also in looking at the whole idea of cryonics. Um, my understanding of cryonics is that the theory is that you, you do a couple of things. You, you start the process of cooling down the body as death is occurring. The, the premise being that death isn't a binary proposition. Rather, there is a process to dying in, in which components of the body shut down and decay and in what order. Um, and also people who are proponents of cryonics say that, well, we're not actually freezing the body, but rather storing it at very low temperature. Because if you actually froze the body and uh, the water in the body formed ice crystals, you destroy every cell in that body. Um, but to me, still, what's interesting here is that, you know, cryonics is a business built on fear and hope. You know, there, there is no evidence today that dead frozen or extremely low temperature bodies can or will be brought back to life Um, and and there is very strong evidence that the damage done just by attempting that is irreversible so um, you know Picard even at one point in this he he says uh, that they were already dead what more could have happened to them and then he says, well, but they're alive now. 
we're gonna have to treat them as living human beings oh yeah. like like that's so tough picard you have to treat somebody like they're a living human being <laughs> you know yeah. well yeah yeah they they can talk and they can make martinis and they can play music <laughs> well, no, they can't make martinis stuff. they can order martinis they can order martinis right right yeah and they can bother um, on about business that's been long done for hundreds of years exactly exactly yeah, it's kind of weird actually because so so okay so addressing the idea that these guys were dead, mm-hmm. I think I joked actually in the in the episode where Tasha Yar died that death's just a thing that happens in the 24th century, not a thing that's permanent. It's just a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You can bring people back to life. I mean, and not not like in a zombie way or in a vampire way, but I mean, the 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 assumption seems to be that medical technology is going to advance to such an extent that you can be dead for a little bit longer in the 24th century than you can mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. And have that be a reversible thing. So Dana bringing them back actually is perfectly sensible because he's able to see it and go, oh, well, we could actually bring these people back to life. Yeah. And that, that kind of raises a weird, to me and, and obviously to you as well, kind of raises a weird sort of debate, right? Mm-hmm. So Picard seems to indicate that had they not brought them back and had Dr. Crusher not revived them, they could have treated them as dead people, even if it's obvious to the trained eye or even the moderately trained eye like Data would have, that they can be brought back to life. Yeah. And I guess what I'm wondering is, is this actually a real debate or is this just a debate for this episode? Because if it's a real debate, then we have to go back to symbiosis and whether the Enterprise should have saved the ship that was about to burn up in the atmosphere because they're as good as dead at that point. They're about yeah. to die. Yeah. Now, or, or is the difference that they can actually, that they're calling for help? Because there was oh, there wasn't right, even right, right. there wasn't even an automated beacon on this you know piece of flotsam that's floating mm-hmm. in space that Riker would just assume they blow up or like go off on its own or whatever <laughs> right. it wants to do right there's not even an automated beacon there so there is no call for help is that the difference at that point because yes these people are dead but only because nobody's brought them back to life which is yeah. something well, that they're, they're going to be able to do no problem. I mean, there's not even like a, there's not even a, wow, you were able to bring them back to life? Crusher's like, yeah, so I unfroze the dead people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Of course, because I can. Exactly. And and I'm a doctor and that's what I do. I I save life and, and this technically would apparently fall under that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, take it to another extent, the, uh, the prime directive. Well, uh, okay. We can say that that ship in symbiosis is about to get blown up. Well, we know that is a spacefaring culture we know that they can communicate with us they're aware of us we're aware of them you know there are all these things going on where you can justify uh interaction or uh interference at that point um with this though well not only is it an old derelict spacecraft does not have warp drive does not have communication abilities um or at least none that are working and uh, if we know that those people are 300 plus years old we know that well they are not sufficiently technologically advanced so there is a case to be made from the prime directive to say leave him alone no there uh, isn't no no they're sure not, there is they're not a society that's going to evolve into something else there are three people lost and alone who are dead yes <laughs> they're dead they 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 do not have any choice in the matter of saying it's come not, help us or a, leave us alone it's not a prime directive thing though no. Because really? you're not, yeah. Because no. you're not screwing with the society at that point. I mean, I, I, that's. I mean, there were there were actually more people following Vol and feeding Vol than there are on the <laughs> ship. And these people on the ship aren't. I mean, they're not. The I, I don't think that applies. 
All right. Well, Sorry. I'm, I, 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 well okay. No, it's all right. I, 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 no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to just shut you. Shut, I feel yeah, bad because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, no, you're dumb. But I mean, I, <laughs> no, no. I, 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 I disagree with that as like a, as a prime directive thing. I'm actually just more horrified at the disdain with which uh, Picard and Riker uh, uh, treat their forebears. Well, that is the weird thing about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 The, the, the whole thing is, is very strange that they would be so, um, uh, yeah, so put off the idea of having to be bothered with uh, people who might actually be able to teach them something. And, uh, and that is one of the, the, the other things here that kind of worries me about this episode a little bit. Um, Sonny calls out 24th century life for being kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And I really wonder again, if that is the case, you know, these three people are treated as oddities and, and there's not really an attempt to connect with them other than Deanna and Claire. De- Deanna is like, okay, well, Deanna, this is your job. You, ha- you have to be the, the, uh, the person who can talk to somebody emotionally and get to know them. Um, it, it reminded me of how no one in the 24th century so far knows what a wild party is. We learned that in the naked now. Right. And, uh, and it's like, you know, I, I want to see these people loosen up a little bit. We know that, uh, we know that Riker likes to hang out in his quarters watching the, uh, the hologram of the, the woman playing the lute. So why wouldn't he enjoy a concert by LQ Sonny Clemens? Well, you, you did get that message, right? I don't remember if it was an email or a Twitter um, <laughs> that, that the two women playing the lute. It was mm-hmm. actually just the first like thirty seconds of something that we would never be able to watch on TV. <laughs> right? Did you did you did you see that message? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, Thank that, you, listener who wrote that. Yeah, yeah. That, that does give one. I don't want to say I don't want to say the survival of porn into the twenty fourth century gives one hope, but I mean it, it does let right. on that there might be a little bit more uh, th- than we know or realize. I think I might I might disagree a tiny bit that there. There is acknowledgement that everybody's got something going on. In fact, I find, again, Claire, one of the most useless characters of the three. Um, but, but there is acknowledgement even there. It's like, okay, she is the direct line. Okay, these are our ancestors. And the fact that they sit down and, and trace that line directly is kind of a neat, subtle message to the people watching. It's like, look, crappy as things are right now, you are what's going to get us here. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Ten generations. And they're actually able to trace that line. I, I yeah. disagree that they would be able to, but whatever. Right, right. Um, LQ Sonny Clemens can just roll with it, man. And Data's really impressed by that. And what what does Sonny say? Uh, look, man, it's just it's a different tune, but the same dance. Yeah. Along those yeah, lines. yeah. 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 I love that. Even even um, Offenhouse gets a tip of the hat from Picard. When he's standing there on the bridge, and you know, they're, they're, it, Riker's like, why, why, why don't the Romulans tell us what we want to know? And often I was over on the side going, because they don't know. They're just they're trying to get you to say because they think maybe you know, but you don't either. Yeah. And Riker says, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and Picard right. says, oh, no, he's right. So, I mean, there, there is a bit of, of an acknowledgement um, of that. It is kind of weird, though, that... For, I mean, we tend to think that yeah, the 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 phrase that I joked about earlier, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, or, you know, whatever the actual wording of that phrase is. We we tend to think that anybody who does that uh, is sort of in for a world of hurt. At the very end, though, Riker says, eh, it's too bad they're gone because it was, it was sort of like being visited from the past. And Picard, I mean, Picard's last line is seriously, don't eat it. Yeah. <laughs> We're I, going uh, that way. We're not going that uh, way. We're going that way. So uh, come on, everybody. Let's go. 
so frustrating. Again, if the writer's strike hadn't been going on and this had gotten another pass, maybe a line like that would have been something very different. Because, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's unfortunate that, uh, that they are so dismissive of what could actually be helpful and interesting. I mean, Kirk has more interest in the people of the past <laughs> in uh, The Voyage Home. Yeah. And, uh, they, well, and for that matter, everybody on the crew of that Enterprise has more interest in the people of the past yeah. than uh, the people in this crew. Yeah, although, so. I mean, for Kirk, it's easy. I mean, he got to hang out with Abraham Lincoln one time. Uh, that's true. That's old hat to him. Yeah. Big old hat. <laughs> Decades ago, a story was made about people 200 plus years from now dealing with people from the mid-1990s. What does all of this crisscrossing in time have for us today? Also, will that crisscross make us jump? Can we got to jump in time here uh, by the estimate of Dr. Crusher, 370 years to compare old humanity to new humanity. And uh, then we get to ask ourselves in that in that process, does the episode hold up? Mm-hmm. So I pose it to you. Does the episode, the neutral zone, hold up? I will tell you one thing that makes it hold up. And this is going to be a surprising answer based on how we ended the last segment. The the um, that way, uh, when Riker says it's like being visited from the past and Picard says, no, that's the wrong direction. We're we're going forward. We're going to the future. That actually makes this episode work for me. And it's weird because if you want to look at it as a way to live life, it is important to remember the past. But if you want to look at this as the end of season one of Next Gen, this is actually, I feel like this is a really good episode on a few levels. I like the fact that we're going to go ahead and dispense with the Ferengi and, and go ahead and meet the Romulans again. Yeah, it's a little cheesy the way they say we're back. But, but more than that... Um, it has been a long time since we have mentioned uh, the Enterprise 1701. It's been a long time since we've mentioned um, Kirk or you know anybody that we knew from the original series. This, it feels to me like this show has found its legs. Now, not every episode is going to be perfect from this point on, but this felt like a strong ending to the first season. This felt to me like, I'm not watching this saying, and yeah, but it's not this or yeah, but I missed this part. I mean, I'm I'm now after 20, what, 24, 25 episodes. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is a this is now a Star Trek crew. This is not a retread of an old show at this point. It feels like it's sort of it's sort of uh, it's come into its own. And so in that respect, I feel like this episode actually does hold up quite well now. It's not the one you're going to sit down, you know, sit somebody down to watch the first time. But watching it the way that we're watching it, yes, I feel like it works great. Um, as far as the messages, I mean, there are a few. I mean, there's the whole, you know, drugs are bad thing. There's the whole don't get hung up on um, on stuff. But we'll probably get to the messages bit in a second. I mean, to me, in that respect, this episode holds up. What about you? Um, it, it, interesting. The, the things that you like about this episode are different from the things that I like about this episode. Okay. Um, and I feel like this is one of those shows where it's easy for a lot of people to say, no, 
Oh, it's not that good. It's not that strong. It's not a great episode of Star Trek, whatever. Um, but I, I, I disagree. Well, it's not a great episode of Star Trek, I don't think. It's a good well, episode of Star Trek. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you- yeah. Well, well yeah, I, I think it's a very good episode, and I think it does hold up. Now, the, the things that I think are problematic, I think the story with the Romulans is kind of limp. Mm. You know, we we... We introduce the idea, and I feel like there's a lot of anticipation, and had it been a two-parter, and had we really explored that, then it would have been like, oh, wow, the Romulans are back without just a Romulan saying we're back, (laughs) you know? There's a difference between showing and telling in that respect. Um, And then there's also a lot of kind of moralizing about the the three visitors, um, which is awkward at times, but I still love this episode. Um, and maybe it's simply because of the position that you and I take in in running these episodes through the mission log filter. You know, we sit down to watch these shows and look at morals, meanings, messages, ethics, and philosophy. And we really try to find relevance to real life today in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And this one is all about that. This one is trying to draw very distinct lines between, but also to bridge the 20th century humans and the 24th century humans therein. So that's kind of cool. Um, and the thing that I like about it is that for the audience, there's this little bit of wish fulfillment. You know, the, the three guests on board are the surrogates for us. And I've talked about in previous episodes or, or storylines where that happens. You know, Dr. Taylor in Star Trek Four is the surrogate for us, the audience, to experience Star Trek through her eyes. Mm-hmm. And we get to do that again with, with these people and go, huh, well, what, what kind of person would I be if I were in that position? And what is it that is so much different and or so much better about the 24th century that, that maybe that is an ideal to live up to? So particularly from the mission log standpoint, what, what, are the, what does this show do? How, how, you know, how does it operate? I think it holds up very well yeah. and, and it's enjoyable, you know? Um, but like I said, there are things that I think hurt it. <laughs> there are weak lines here within the story that could have been better. Um, had another round been made on that script. Uh, but as I mentioned before, they had certain things working against them. Yeah. Um, but then we get to look at messages. We get to look at those morals and meanings and uh, what did we learn and what do we take away from it? So uh, I'll pose that to you as well, Ken. Well, I mean, it's one of those lead by example episodes, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can worry yourself with money, with power, with prestige, you 20, 20th and 21st century, you know, micro brain idiot, stupid <laughs> heads. Um, the good news is we're going to get past all this stuff. Uh, it would be great to think that we're going to get past it in our lifetimes. I, of course, will because I'll be inhabiting a robot body. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it'd, it'd be great to think that we're going to get there. But if, if you can instill in people the the belief that that we are going to get there as a people, as a society at some point, then you might also instill with them the idea that they have to kind of start working towards that as opposed to sitting around waiting for it to happen. Um I like Picard's speech. A lot has changed in 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We've eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy. It's a great It's a great sort of, I mean, it's the kind of summation that we've heard in the past from Star Trek, but it's always neat to hear again. Could also explain actually why he doesn't want to deal with the Earthlings, because we know that Picard does not like children. 
<laughs> right, and they are. And if he sees them as as mankind's uh, infancy, uh, then yeah, maybe he was just maybe he was afraid he was going to have to change LQ Sonny Clemens. Which, by the way, if you've read his Rhodes book, that was, that mm. was not that was not out of the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to write the LQ Sonny Clemens uh, Star Trek novel. Go ahead. Uh, what what about you? I think there are, there are probably other messages in there, but uh, that that was sort of the chief one to me. Is you know, we get to hammer home again the you're going to get past this or we're going to get past this. So, yay. Mm. What about you? Yeah, I'm glad that you pulled that line because I, I think from Picard, that that is one of those things that if you're just, if you're going to put a button on Star Trek and say, what does this show mean? And what is it trying to tell people who watch it in the 20th and 21st century? Well, that line is such an important part of that. It, it's great. So I'm glad that you uh, quoted that. I, I think the messages that I pulled out here, um, well, you can't cheat death, uh, except that in this, you totally can. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, if you're the, the three of the five who uh, survived. Yeah, as long and, as as long as your pod stays active and you're lucky enough to have your loved ones choose the right cryonics company, because they say, you know, that uh, most of the countries, uh, most of the companies uh it was just a crappy <laughs> either there was fraud or it just didn't work so yeah they, you, they didn't pay the power bill yeah. yeah you can cheat death if you're incredibly wealthy and incredibly lucky right or if you well, have an idiot husband yeah yeah I, but let's look at that question or that same statement but from a different angle <laughs> because i think this is the angle that the show takes in some respect it's wrong to want to cheat death but again these people come out totally okay yeah. And they will probably carry on with whatever healthful lifestyles they can, fully benefiting from 24th century medical technology. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's all this idea of like, well, we, we got over that desire. We got over that need to try to cheat death by freezing ourselves. That's so that's so primitive. And I thought, what if Dr. Crusher's whole job in this enlightened future was just to go around to the terminally ill patients and say, hey, Hey, look, death is nothing to be afraid of, and then not treat them for any illness, disease, you know, chronic or otherwise. <laughs> because there's something in this episode that kind of says that. Um, it's, it's, I don't think they really wanted to say that, but there's something about the attitude that comes across that way. Would have been funny if they had actually like thawed them out and said, so listen, here's what happened, and I want you to understand why we're not going to let you stay alive. Right, right. Because, you know, just uh, death is natural. Okay. So uh, what, just don't, don't try to fight it. What you and or your loved ones tried to do was so wrong. So, yeah, look around. <laughs> yeah. Nine, nine. Well, let's see. All right. Here's another uh, message that I picked up from this. Don't don't judge a book by its cover. The, the Enterprise crew are working from assumptions about their guests and about the Romulans in this. Now, granted, most of their assumptions come from good cause and careful research, but you never know. I, you know, I feel, again, that they didn't bother to really get to know uh, the three visitors from the past. And there was this sort of assumption that, like, well, they're, they're primitive and uh, they're terrible, although you would argue that Claire is terrible. Oh, yeah. Um, She's a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but in all seriousness, I, I think for all the, the platitudes in the show about who we are and what we are in the 24th century, uh, there is, again, something at the core of this episode that expresses Star Trek's humanist values. We have finite lives. We shouldn't fear death. 
and it's remarkable that we're here at all. And and by here, I mean the, the sort of brief, magnificent moment that we are conscious in the universe. There's this kind of holistic look at existence and man's place in the universe in this episode. We live, we die, we're part of the universe, and that's that. And that's pretty cool. So um, that if we were to look at this episode in the broader, bigger picture of philosophy of Star Trek, I think that message comes through pretty well here, too. I'm not hearing the part, though, that makes you think that they think that life prolongation is a bad thing. I mean, we, we got that in Miri and we got that, I believe, in um, was it the Infinite Vulcan? Is that what they were trying to do? I can't remember yeah. if that's what the Philosians were trying to do or not. But there have been two or three times where we've had people trying to cheat death. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being bad for like their entire planet or their entire race. I, I, I didn't actually see this as being problematic here. And you, you seem to be saying that that is uh, one of the messages of the show. And I'm not I'm not seeing where you're picking that up. Oh, as soon as we get them out of the tubes or as soon as we bring the tubes over to the Enterprise, the whole attitude is like, yeah, I, this was just some fad. And people were obsessed with trying to cheat death. But it worked. But it did. It absolutely worked. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is the if we are looking at the characters within Star Trek, we're looking at the crew of the Enterprise mm-hmm. as being wiser, better. Um, if we're looking at them as having, you know, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, where's the wisdom to share with us, with us puny 20th and 21st century humans. Well, their attitude about what these humans did 300 years ago to save themselves is very dismissive. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of dismissive to me of the whole idea that they would try to prolong their lives and try to cheat death. Now, within the context of the show, within the plot of the show, yeah, they they won. (laughs) They won the lottery big time. Right. But the attitude of the people around them, who we are supposed to look up to in some way, is that, wow, isn't that pathetic that uh, that they would try to prolong their lives by doing this crazy thing? But to you and me, well, yeah, they, I, they I, did. I would say what LQ, Sonny Clemens, and Khan Noonien Singh teach us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> double down on cryonics. <laughs> Or, or hey, or, or let's say, let's <laughs> let's say that in the future, yeah, um, you are you, uh, something traumatic is about to happen, and you know that you could potentially save yourself by, I don't know, storing yourself in the pattern buffer of, of a transporter. Yeah, now that's that just, is a that's yeah, crazy talk. That's crazy, but that would be say a form of self-preservation and life prolongation. Yeah. You could be brought back at any point. Interesting. It'll never happen. Interesting point that. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be great if we could like explore that with maybe some, you know, other character that we knew or or used to or Ah, you're right. I'm just fanficking. Mhm. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which is not as dirty as it sounds. No. So so that's kind of what we took from this episode. Um, curious what other people took from it as well. There are a number of ways that they can tell us, of course. Do you want to tell them, John, or shall I? Go right ahead, Ken. All right. Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Uh, our handle in all three places is Mission Log Pod. Uh, you can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. 
You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Any place that you get in touch with us, we will use or may use, sorry, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. In addition, we got some other places we would love for you to check out online. Start with our website, missionlogpodcast.com. That wealth of discovered documents that John was talking about earlier will be posted there, as well as a bunch of other documents that we've discovered over the course of Mission Log so far and going forward. Then there are two other places you can check out online. We would love it if you did. Trekmovie.com carries Mission Log podcast, as does uh, Trek FM, and you'll find that at trek.fm. And, uh, yeah, you got a lot to do on the Internet between now and next time we talk. And, Ken, the next time we talk, I can't believe it, Season 2 begins with The Child. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The end of Season 1. I don't know about you, but I could use some liquid refreshment. If only the Enterprise had a bar. Silly I know, but one can dream. And Transmission.